Elaine, excellent. I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, Erwin Lubeck. Oh, hello. Charmed. <laughs> All right. Brace yourself, Lubeck. You are about to be launched via pastry back to the wedding of one of the most dashing and romantic Nazi sympathizers of the entire British royal family. I guess I'll just... Oh, no, Elaine, stay. Lubeck here is the world's foremost appraiser of vintage pastry. <laughs> All right, Lubeck. How much is she worth? I'd say about 219. <laughs> $219,000! Lubeck, you glorious titwellow, you just made me a profit of $190,000. No, $2.19. It's Nintemans. Do they have a castle at Windsor? No, they have a display case at the end of the aisle. Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Oliver Muirhead. Oliver has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including Mad Men, NCIS, Austin Powers, Friends, Will and Grace, Lost, The Big Bang Theory, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and The Social Network. But Seinfeld fans will always remember him for playing Erwin Lubeck in the classic season nine episode, The Frogger. And we're so glad he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Oliver. It's entirely my pleasure. So since The Frogger was one of the final episodes of the series, did you audition for any other roles on Seinfeld before you appeared on the show? Yes, um, I auditioned for the part. There was something to do with a shirt maker, I think. I seem to remember um, <laughs> it was some sort of tailoring thing uh, and a good friend of mine got it. Um, I don't remember his name, um, but he was a very dapper chap. Um, so I, mean, I was glad that he got it. And then shortly afterwards, I auditioned again and um, became Mr. Lubeck. And so can you take us through the events that led to you getting the audition for Seinfeld? And also, can you tell us what you remember about the audition? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty standard Hollywood stuff. Uh, I'd already got, as I said, an audition call and then a callback um, for another role. And they brought me in for this role. And I went in, uh, you know, did the role in front of the producers, the writers, and, and Jerry was there as well. It was that simple. I mean, very, very boring, very clean. And I was very happy to get the role because I, I had a lot of friends who, who'd worked on the series. Oh, who are some of your friends who are on the series? I'd love to hear. Uh, well, the late, great Ian Abercrombie. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. A, a really lovely man. Um, we worked, I think we worked together more than we auditioned against one another. Um, we were often butlers. Um, and if you wanted the younger butler, it was me. And if you wanted the older butler, it was Ian. Um, <laughs> and we were in a bunch of stuff together. We revoiced a lot of movies. And, and we were in uh, Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties together, which was probably one of the most fun jobs I ever had uh, because it was with Jane Carr, uh, Ian, uh, and, and the fabulous Billy Connolly, and, and Roger Reese. Um, who had played my wife in a cartoon. <laughs> and every day I came back, my wife said, I hate you. It's like you've been to a cocktail party all day. 
we had a just a fabulous time. It was great fun. Oh, that's amazing. Any other actors from Seinfeld that you were friendly with? Yeah, my good friend Brian George, uh, Babu, of, of course, the wonderful Dave Florick, uh, who introduced me to you guys. And yes. uh, uh, let's see now, Fred Saunders, um, uh, just a bunch of people. Um, and every so often a Seinfeld episode pops up and I go, oh, it's him. <laughs> I get so excited. <laughs> and my wife says, they're actors. This is what they do for a living. And I go, yes, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Seinfeld. It's special. Seinfeld, it is special. Yeah, it, it, it was when I did it, it was the most special show, not simply because I was cast in it, but um, it was the most special show, certainly in Hollywood and definitely on that lot. And because it was one of the final episodes, there was a lot of buzz and a lot of security um, around it. I'd love to say that somebody offered me millions of dollars for my script, but that would not be true. (laughs) (laughs) But I could just say it. (laughs) Just lie. (laughs) So what was the atmosphere like when you first arrived on the set? Um, just a sort of general buzz. I mean, rehearsing, we didn't rehearse much because the cast was already so well-versed in what they did, but it was very relaxed. Um, I, I was pretty nervous, but everybody was very sweet, very kind and did my rehearsal and then turned up for the evening and it went, it went quite late. Um, they had a lot of fun working together. At least that's what it looked like to me. And there was a 12-piece band to play between scenes and the most amazing selection of craft services, uh, food, which is always very important for any member of the acting profession. Um, <clears throat> and and it, was, it was a lot of fun, except, of course, for the nerves, because as things went later, you were waiting and waiting and waiting and uh, the scene went pretty smoothly, except for the first take where the one prop that I had slipped out of my hand and flicked across the set. And everybody else just carried on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you, you wouldn't know when they cut it together. <laughs> but right. it was pretty frightening. I felt like such an idiot. No one cared. No. So who would you say gave you the most direction on the set? I assume the director, Andy Ackerman, was there. Was Jerry also there during your scene? Uh, no, although I would say that Jerry Seinfeld is a prince. He's not simply paying me to say that because he stayed until the very end and introduced the entire cast to the audience, which was uh, amazing. I mean, a lot of stars just want to get out of there. And he was in- incredibly kind and gracious, uh, which was very positive. Um, uh, Elaine was, you know, was in the scene. She was fun. And, and of course, Peterman. Um, I'm old enough to remember the reality of the Peterman catalogue. And then they took this and made it into they took reality and made it into fiction, which is, I think, what we do in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> And you mentioned Peterman. So what was it like working with John O'Hurley in that scene? Really nice. I mean, he's a very relaxed guy. I mean, he's 
he's quite like the character, I think, um, <laughs> which is quite, which is quite fun. Um, and because he was so solid in the character, it was, it was easy to work with him. And I knew what I, I had to do. Generally, I get cast and then left alone. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder whether I could get a bit of direction, but um, it, they cast me because they know what I can do. And um, I'm, I'm left to do my own thing. Uh, it was really pretty short and sweet. Andy Ackerman's a really good director. So I didn't get any particular comments other than where to stand. And it was pretty easy. It was a pretty easy shoot from the technical point of view. And once I'd finished, obviously my nerves were still pretty much on edge because, as I said, there was a lot of security, and I, I, I had resisted eating anything up to that point. And I went back to this extraordinary buffet, and um, someone tapped me on the shoulder, and I swung round to see the man who had stuffed Steve Buscemi into a chipper standing behind me. It's <laughs> a stormer. Which <laughs> is absolutely terrifying. And he has a rather um, abrupt manner. He said, you were so great. And then, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> don't put me in the chipper. <laughs> and for those who don't know, uh, Oliver is talking about the actor who played Slippery Pete, who was also in Fargo. Well, anyone who hasn't seen Fargo, definitely check that out. Amazing movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you've not seen Fargo... Um, I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. It's a really, a truly wonderful movie. Ah, one of my favorites. Um, and he's in a number of other uh, Coen Brothers movies. I, I think he's the, he's uh, one of the the um, strange Scandinavian crew, and also a porn actor in um, in one of the other Coen Brothers movies. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a very, very fine actor, a rather spiritual man in reality. And getting back to your scene, like you mentioned, Julia was also in that scene. So based on your experience working with her, what would you say it is about her that sets her apart from some of the other actresses in Hollywood? She's very self-possessed, uh, I think. I, yes, I, I, I'm so pleased to have come up with that expression because it does actually describe what I think about her. And I've met her socially as well. Um, her, her kids went to the same school as my daughter um and and my wife who was head of the parent teachers association had the unfortunate task of introducing the head of the school to an audience of people like julia louis dreyfus and various other luminaries <laughs> but she was very my wife was very good and she was she was well coached by me so there you go that's good so were there any additional lines or scenes you had that didn't make it into the episode? No, because I was so good. <laughs> well, of course, that, that stands to reason. <laughs> it goes without saying. And it's very funny. I mean, I actually knew about Entenmann's, um, despite the fact that I clearly did not grow up here or in the uh, tri-state area, um, because my wife's from Brooklyn. So um, her favorite Entenmann's cake is, I think, a crumb cake, but I don't want to speak out of turn. <laughs> well, make sure give her a call. See if she can. <laughs> <laughs> Which was it, chocolate strip or crumb cake? I think crumb cake. She's a big uh, coffee cake fan. Um, oh, Drake's coffee cake. 
Well, I don't know. <laughs> I actually like baking, but I'm more of a bread person than a cake person. So, you know. And also in that scene, you're holding a jeweler's loop while you're inspecting the cake. So was that always in the script? Did they try different ways of you inspecting it or different ways you were interacting with no, the cake? No, it's always in the script. Um, and that's what flew out of my hand to my embarrassment and nobody else caring at all. <laughs> that was the best part. I just didn't care. They went, oh, we'll do it again. <laughs> and I think it was only, if I remember, two takes. And there may have been a little pickup, but that was it. And uh, in that scene, that suit you're wearing, is that your suit or did they provide that for you? That's a good question. I did have a blue suit that pretty much had its own SAG card. And I think it might actually have been that suit. It, it has since been retired. It has gone to the old suits home here in the valley. Um, but but I, I did wear that particular blue suit a lot. And I think it may have been that. And let's leave it there as a legend. <laughs> we'll say it was that suit that appeared in a lot of commercials as well. And what did you enjoy the most about filming that scene? <laughs> when it was over. <laughs> it, was, it was so nervous. I, you know, even though it's a relatively short scene, um, you know, there's a lot hanging on it. And being a guest star is a little bit like trying to jump on a moving, fast moving train. It's like being a hobo. Uh, um, and you're joining everybody in the first class carriage and then you have to jump off again, of course, um, or they just throw you off. Um, so it's difficult because it's already a well-oiled machine. And this was really one of the best cast and crew that I remember working with. Um, and at that time, I'd done a lot of sitcoms and saw a, a lot of the same people, which was that that's always nice because you feel a little bit more at home if you know one of the grips or um, gaffer or whatever, you know. By the way, that cake that you were inspecting looked really good. Did you try a piece of it? Well, no, because it's so valuable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I did try a little bit. It was resentments. Come on. Why don't you pay attention? Yeah. <laughs> yes, they have the display case at the end of the aisle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Well-known Nazi sympathizer. I mean, it's just, it, it's such a wonderful idea, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we were all able to take it so seriously, which was, which was, which was fun. Oh, it's great. It's just so, yeah, just a little bit of absurdity, but enough to believe that it's real. Yeah. And, and of course, these things do happen. I just saw um, two sets of football boots. That football, which is that's real football, not what you call football. Real football, <laughs> where people actually kick it with their feet. You know, it's not gladiatorial combat with the the um, apprehension of real estate, which apparently is American football, um, <laughs> and you know, heavy concussion. Um, uh, there were two sets of football boots, one owned by Maradona and I think one originally worn by Pele, and they were um, auctioned in Scotland for a, a little school, um, and I'm, I'm sure made a lot of money. So these artifacts are very important to certain people. And who would you say you spent the most time with on the set that week? Me. <laughs> I was pretty much on my own. <laughs> I mean... Um, 
you know, the, uh, the, the, the stars um, came in, you know, to do their bit and they didn't really need to rehearse much. But they they had great fun doing it. Um, Jerry was very much hands on, I have to say. I don't know whether I would call him controlling, but he, he was very much part of it, whereas a lot of stars aren't particularly. And as I said, he was a complete prince. Can't can't complain. And I know you mentioned the security on the set, but other than that, could you sense that the show was coming to an end? Did, could you feel that on the set? Where was anyone, you know, talking Yes, we about were it? told. And I knew um, Brian, Brian George playing Babu was going to be in the last episode. So I knew that. And there was this sort of buzz around it. But it didn't affect anybody, I don't think. I, I don't think people were happy to to be finishing or sad to be finishing. I mean, they just they took it in their stride. Do you have a favorite story or favorite memory from being on the show that week? Well, other than being scared to death by a man who'd stuffed Steve Buscemi in a in a chipper, <laughs> <laughs> not really. That's a good one, yeah. But it's particularly good. And, I mean, on, just on a personal thing, I, I remember when you asked me to to um, do the podcast. Um, I, I remember, oh, that loop just shot out of my hand. I must have been very nervous and sweaty and so on, gripping it tight. And it just, it, you know, you couldn't do that if you were paid. It just <laughs> shot across the room and bounced everywhere. Me falling on my hands and knees, grabbing it, and then going back to where I was supposed to be. Man, no one cared. <laughs> that makes me very happy, though, that Jerry waited to the end and announced all the actors like no matter how big or small the role was i like that he gave you the opportunity to come out and you know show you his appreciation yeah it was really nice um i mean he was very much a class act and the the entire show was a class act um i mean to have a i think it was a 12-piece band i mean a a big band playing between each scene was pretty impressive and as I said, the food, which is really only the only thing actors care about, was extraordinary. I've never been to Vegas, but it was that sort of buffet level. All the shrimp you could eat. <laughs> and what were your overall thoughts about your scene in the episode in general? I didn't realize quite how important it was going to be and quite how popular the episode was i mean i've been very lucky in the sense that that often on shows i've maybe only done one episode but it's been repeated a lot uh, my friend's episode the one with the ring gets repeated a lot so that's i mean that's great from from my point of view i have a sort of half-life you know it's good for an actor to have a half-life i think and have you ever auditioned for any other shows that the Seinfeld cast members have been a part of? Like V, No Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David hasn't uh, called you no, up? No, part of the problem is that um, I'm a very tall person. And there are a lot of actors in Hollywood who are a little bit nervous about tall people. And that was good about having Peterman, because Peterman, as you know, is, is a tall guy. Yeah. Um, so it didn't look strange. But there are certain shows that I've auditioned for, and I thought, ah, oh, that was a great audition. I never go back in. And I 
I've asked the casting director and they went, no, you're not going to get this one. No one over six foot. Sorry. Damn. <laughs> I can't tell you which stars have that kind of, um, well, I have that kind of ego, but um, th there are a few. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so you mentioned it a little bit before, but you appeared on Friends shortly after Seinfeld. So can you talk a little bit about some of the similarities and differences of working on both shows and why Seinfeld was the superior sitcom? <laughs> ah, <laughs> I'm sure there's an essay in the New Yorker about that. Um, <laughs> Seinfeld was a superior sitcom, I think, um, because it it was very much its own world. It's got that perfect little world with all the characters. I mean, it's a little bit like a, I'm going to say it's a little bit like a Samuel Beckett play, that that it's all it's completely self-contained. Um, and and the beauty of Seinfeld is that everybody is so self-involved. I mean, I think that's the <laughs> that's what we like about the characters. We love them, but they are so self-involved. <laughs> But certainly with friends, I mean, since I managed to dodge your question, um, you know, I felt the good thing about Seinfeld was that it ended and friends kind of exploded with everybody having relationships with everybody else. It went on, in my opinion, a little bit too long. And by the time I was doing it, the stars were rather set. I didn't really meet any of them. I mean, other than walking past them, the, I um I just worked with Chandra and Phoebe and she was lovely. Absolutely. A lovely person. Her husband at the time, I think maybe still is French. So we chatted about that. But uh, my complaint about a lot of shows is that they go on too long. And if you remember that show Moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis, amongst others, um, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it sort of devolved into them all having affairs with one another and making absolutely no sense whatsoever. So that's what sometimes happens. Yeah, that's the thing is Jerry specifically said he didn't want to find out when he peaked because that means that he'd have to go back downhill. So he yeah. wanted to make sure that he went out on top. And I think that he totally did. I think, yeah, it was, it was very was smart. Perfect amount of time. Yeah. And um, it's very easy, even with as much money as someone like him is making. Uh, to want even more money just to sort of keep on going you get addicted to that I've seen that with a lot of stars um, and, and he realized that there should be an end and, and good for him you know it's it's great I mean the show's still very popular people still watch it um, it still stands up I think um, it hasn't quite become an artifact like a lot of shows. I mean, other than people's hair, <laughs> which dates the show a little bit, but it's still fun, you know. Oh, absolutely. So was it more satisfying to you at the time when you got the role or is it more satisfying to you now? Um, uh, well, at the time, I was a working actor and, I mean, I'm still a working actor, but um, I was going out on a lot more auditions um, and it felt like just part of my work. And although it was it was great to get Seinfeld, um, there was also the sense that it wasn't 
the kind of grand show that some shows are. I mean, like um, Cheers, for example, was a very grand show. Fraser was a very grand show. And Seinfeld's almost more sort of claustrophobic. It's a much smaller, physically a much smaller show, uh, which I, I think is very interesting. And that's obviously part of its appeal. I mean, you know, Friends, the, the apartments they live in in Friends are so big. Anybody who's been to New York or lived in New York, this is fiction. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas Jerry's apartment, yeah, it looks like an apartment in New York. Come on. Yeah, I love the coffee shop, too. It's just like a crummy little coffee shop that they eat at all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it looks like there's a particular coffee shop I can think of up in the in the 50s. It looks exactly like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe um, because a lot of the guys who were writing were basing it on their own experiences in New York, that had a certain sense of authenticity and it didn't get sort of over Hollywoodized. I mean, I, one thing I would like to ask you guys is, is um, what did you think of the sort of the move away from in the early shows where Jerry was um, very much a stand up comic and you saw him do pieces uh, either at the beginning or the end of the show? And that tended to sort of disappear. Would you care to comment on that? Sure. Well, I think they got rid of the stand up in the later years because Larry had left and Jerry had to focus on the writing. So Larry would write the first part of the episode while Jerry did the stand up. When when Larry wasn't there, Jerry had to focus just on the writing. So they did a lot of cold opens. I personally love the stand up bits. I know the cold opens were great, but to me, that's Seinfeld. I don't know how Adam feels about it, but those stand up segments in the beginning of the episodes were my favorite. Oh, yeah. I agree that uh, stand-up segments are great, but even before they took them out entirely, they were getting less and less as they went through. And I think it was because the storylines were just becoming so much denser and denser. But I don't know. There is something that kind of set Seinfeld apart in the beginning with having those little breaks, especially in the early episodes, kind of seeing his stand-up and like how it intertwined with the show. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of it is an interesting observation to make. And one thing that people don't realize is it it is the character Jerry performing stand up. He's talking about specific things in the episodes. And there are times where a great example is the bris where he injures his finger. And then at the end of the episode, you see him pointing. He's like, I'm not going to clean that up. And he has the, the bandage on his finger. <laughs> so it's little things like that that I love that, you know, this isn't yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, the celebrity. It's Jerry Seinfeld, the character in the show performing stand up. Yeah, I, I think one reason for for lessening that, apart from the sort of technical idea of him having to write the stand up and so on and so forth, it is that the the other characters became a lot more important and the stories became, as you say, more dense. And um, the shows aren't that long. I mean, people forget that a, a sitcom, certainly from that period, is really pretty short. And you've got an A and a B story. And that's it's hard to get that stuff in there. I mean, these writers are really professional. I remember some writer on, I think it might have been Cheers, or no, it's possibly Frasier, Frasier, who said that it was like trying to produce Noel Coward every week for you know, 20 weeks. You know, you have to be that good. Um, and and I, I can see that. I mean, the, the 
the episodes really knit together very well. And it's partly, I think, the generosity and professionalism of Jerry realizing that you could give an entire episode to Elaine, for example, or to George or to Kramer. You, you, You didn't have to have Jerry Seinfeld as the one and only, which I thought was was smart. And as I said, very generous. Yeah. And there's some episodes where Jerry doesn't even have a story. You know, he just gave them to Jason, Julia and Michael because he knew how amazing they were. So he's like, I'm just going to give them all the best stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's not because he's lazy. Right. <laughs> he's the opposite. Yeah. Man. And so before we move on to our final segment, um, is there anything we didn't ask you about your time on Seinfeld that you'd like to share with us? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. As I said, it was uh, it was very clean, um, nerve wracking, but fun. I mean, I remember walking away um, in the sort of cold night air, that sense of wonderful sense of relief that I, I love when I finished a you know, really good performance uh, and. and thinking how much fun it was and and in a way the sort of the perfect hollywood experience i'm not normally so um so optimistic and positive <laughs> but it, but it very much felt like that and it's the the studio was down the road from me so it was a nice easy drive yeah it's nice that you got to be on the show right under the wire there in the last three or four episodes before they went off the yeah, air. Yeah, particularly as I'd, I'd auditioned a couple of, I'd auditioned at least, as I said, once before, I, maybe a couple more times. Um, but I, I'd got a call back once and then got this episode. And to be one of the last three was a great, was a great honor. And um, a, a lot of people like the episode just because the Frogger is their favorite, <laughs> their favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm, I, my, my, my own fame is on the back of the frogger on the coattails of the frogger hey what that's a pretty good way to do it <laughs> yeah not bad i'm gonna guess that you auditioned for mr Haharwood in the gum i think that's possible yeah and i think i remember the actor who got it i'm not certain it was a eric christmas i think was his name oh eric yeah of course it was eric yep yep very dapper yeah he was great yeah, he's wonderful. He came uh, came to a couple of parties here. It was very sweet. We we auditioned a lot against one another, um, doing commercials in the days when actors did commercials and not celebrities and non-union people. Excuse my bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out because you were great as Lubeck. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was fun, and the fact that it's it's Lubeck, which is just it's just lovely. One year I was uh, talking of Lubeck. I was completely German. Uh, the only roles I ever did were German, <laughs> <laughs> including um, I- including Gutenberg, the inventor of printing. And my agent said, "Why did you cast Oliver?" And they said, "Well, he sounds like Gutenberg." <laughs> <laughs> Do we have recordings of him? Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to move on to our final segment. It's called This, That, and the Other. So basically, we just ask you a question, and then the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. Oh, heavens. (laughs) 
So first question, what is your favorite film? I'm going to say The Maltese Falcon, I think, because that's a perfect film. It is it. When I'm king, which is shortly, although, you know, there's this pretender, Charles. <laughs> we'll get rid of him. <laughs> um, when I'm king, there's only going to be one um, way that you can criticize it. Any anything, art, movies, plays, poems, and that's you decide what what it is that the film, for example, sets out to do, and how far does it achieve what it sets out to do. I mean, and that's a good example. You know, Seinfeld set out to do something, and it achieved it really well. You may not like it, but you. I know that's blasphemy here in this room. Um, you may not like it, but you have to admit that it set out to do something and it achieved it perfectly. And that's what I feel with the Maltese Falcon. OK, that was a really long answer. Next. <laughs> what role or performance are you proudest of? I think. Uh, I'm supposed to say Lubeck on Seinfeld. Well, besides that, of course. <laughs> besides that. Um, the dad in like crazy, which is uh, a really sweet movie, and it, um, it was the sort of romantic comedy of my daughter's generation. And and the only sad thing, and it it still breaks me up when I say this, Anton Yelchin died a few years after making the movie, and um, I have a story about that, but it's too depressing. And um, I just I, it was a heartbreak, but it was a lovely movie. And while shooting the movie, I thought this movie has a real chance. And it was the Cinderella movie of the year. It launched a couple of careers. And as I said, I was heartbroken that Anton died. Um, During my my time in Hollywood, um, although I'm not quite as starry as I would like, um, I've done a whole series of films or TV shows that were perfect for my daughter's age at the time. So um, I, I had to work on her birthday one year, you know, which is a crime. And the great thing was I was working on Keenan and Kel. Oh, and it was her favorite yeah. show. And the two, they were so sweet. Um, and then I did, I did a whole series of movies that were like perfect. And was it, I was able to take her to the, the premiere and that was you know for a dad that was great and then of course I'm playing a dad in like crazy and um I had a great wife Alex Kingston I've had a great wife in real life and several on screen so I'm doing pretty well (laughs) oh that's wonderful (laughs) what is the best performance you've ever seen in a film or tv show there was a there's a Clifford Odette's play which was made into a movie. Um, it's a good thing you've asked me this because I've forgotten the name of the play. Um, and it was remade uh, as a TV show. And, and Dick Van Dyke played a drunk actor. And he was absolutely wonderful. And it was around the time, I think, that he admitted that he had been an alcoholic. And he was really good. And, and it's, for me, uh, and when I direct, I like to do this, is when you see an actor in a... Or, or actress, I'm trying to be gen- gender neutral, in a role that you wouldn't normally expect them to do. And they they really pull out all the stops and they show you how good they are because they're not in the in the role that you've always seen them in. You're not, you know, Dick Van Dyke is not 
the star of the Dick Van Dyke show. He he's a, a broken down old actor, and, and that that impressed me years ago. What actor or actress would you like to have worked with who's no longer with us? Well, probably the big three, Olivier Richardson and Gilgood. Um, but I did get to work with John Neville, who was like the fourth night. So John Neville, we worked on a movie together and I spent a night drinking vodka martinis with him in the bar. And at the end, I mean, he told just amazing stories. And and at the end, he said, let's split the bill. And I went, no, no, John, this is on me. And when my wife got the credit card, she said, what is this bar bill? I went, oh, <laughs> I, st- I spent the time with John Neville. It was fabulous. Um, other than that, I mean, every English actor has a, a hero. Um, I, I think I, I have I have too many, but um, probably David Warner. I, I never worked with David, but we ate lunch together and he was fabulous. He was like Eeyore on Quaaludes and he was always so wonderfully gloomy. <laughs> And he came to dinner um, at, at the house, and luckily I'd invited somebody whose dad had been um, a, an agent. She was a very good actress, very pretty, and, and uh, her dad had represented everybody. And um, so she could really draw him out. And um, he said, after we told a couple of stories, um, I don't have any stories. My life's been so boring. And then spent two hours telling us fabulous, fabulous stories. He was wonderful. And again, um, he's... Uh, recently passed away. His hero was Ian Holm. Um, and I once asked him, I said, what do you think of Ian Holm in Hamlet? He said, oh, it's dreadful. Such a relief. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's so good, but he was dreadful. <laughs> he was a terrible gossip. <laughs> uh, favorite band or musician? I I really... I don't know. My my tastes in music are so broad, you know, that I it's such a pleasure here in L.A. We have um, Dudamel, Gustavo Dudamel, conducting the L.A. Phil, and he's sort of the real deal. He's an amazing conductor and he might be, I think, the finest conductor, certainly in my lifetime. And I happen to like his choices as well. Um, I like Gurdjieff as well, but. But um, so let, I'm going to say Dudamel. I'm going to raise the tone of this podcast and <laughs> congratulate. <laughs> but they're playing. I mean, there's like, like the Kinks. That would be probably. I mean, if I if you know, gun to my head, I think just every bit as good as the Beatles. Um, <laughs> you know, Waterloo Sunset, brilliant song. Uh, and um, you know, you have two brothers who fight on stage. I mean, it's what, what you know, it's brilliant. And they're a North London band. I'm I'm from South London, so it's like a million miles away, but a great band. And final thing, favorite moment of your career? I, I I don't know the favorite moment of my career. I mean, sometimes I think it's like a series of moments that feel very much the same. It would be in the it would be the Wednesday of a sitcom or the middle of a movie where I know that I've I've been working and I'm going to continue to be working for a little while. And I know everybody and it feels a little bit um, like a community. Um, I remember doing a movie in up in Canada 
just standing there thinking, here I am, I'm in a movie and it feels wonderful. I've got a, a photograph taken by a French photographer, unknown, uh, of Burt Lancaster sitting on a car while shooting a movie. And, and he's just completely relaxed, just enjoying himself being an actor on a movie. And, I, and, and that's my favorite feeling. And, and the, there's a poem, if I can remember it, sound, sound, the clarion, fill the fife throughout the sacred world proclaim that one crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name. Well, I think that's a great place to end right there. Um, okay. Oliver, <laughs> we thank you so much for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for telling us about your experience on Seinfeld. Uh, it, we really it's appreciate my pleasure. It's lovely to have this sort of, I feel like an isotope. <laughs> I've had this long half-life. I'm still glowing. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like Seinfeld. <laughs> Just like Seinfeld. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, this was just great to talk to you. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. We hope you enjoy the rest of your night and uh, take care. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. You're all right, Peterman. You look ill. Get well. Get well soon. We want you to get well. Get well. Get well soon. We want you to get well.